Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions to get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining us here is Jed Brewer. Hello! We are without regular co-host Lee Younger this week. Lee was with us last week. Don't worry, this isn't some weird uh, divorce thing where uh, Jed and Lee are splitting custody of me. That's not <laughs> the situation. Just we had a week where we had some busy schedules. But also, I get two podcast Christmases this way, and that's pretty good. <laughs> Yeah. Podcast Christmas is all clip shows and it's very disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what won't be disappointing is this episode of Say That. We've got some great questions from you. We've got some fun stuff. Also, at this point, if you have expectations of this show that allow you to be disappointed, that's really on you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, one of the keys to happiness is uh, intentionally monitoring your own expectations and adjusting them. Yes. If you have a series of let's call it 537 data points of something being underwhelming. You really should establish those expectations accordingly. But before all that, we must launch off with a cinematic emergency. Oh, and one of those terms is really, really being generously applied. Well, I assume the cinematic emergency is the you know, tragic passing of, of French cinema pioneer, Jean-Luc Godard, and that that's what you want to talk about. And his, Lasting contributions to the development of cinematography. Absolutely. I'm I'm a huge Godard fan. I love his his films like The Baker's Bicycle and um <laughs> The Sad Man Who Walked Along the Cliff, I assume. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Totally. To- well, don't, but, 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 but there was a sad man walks along the cliff. The sad man walks lo- along the cliff too. Sure. The sad, the sad man three, the cliffening. Sure. Sad man four, return to the cliff. Sad man five, Tokyo drift. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You, you got it. Yeah. No. I- so I mean, there's a lot to, there's a lot to get into there. Well, Judd, that, that would be an accurate use of the term cinema through the uh the, the long-lasting effect of the lens of Jean-Luc Godard on uh, uh an industry an art form and maybe the way we all engage with cinema and maybe even the moving image I have very much the opposite of that I have <laughs> an article that starts pure flicks announces new God's not dead rise up oh I assume it was a a big blow to the latest God's not dead movie when they couldn't get Godard to do the cinematography yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I I'm envisioning an alternate universe where the big God's Not Dead announcement is that they've all been added to the Criterion collection. They're they're coming out with 4K editions, you know, they're digitally remastered. They've got, you know, some extensive commentary tracks, you know, a, a, a introductory essays from some guy that wrote for the New York Times at one point, you know, that's it's the total package. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm sure maybe it does exist. I don't know what Pure System Magician model is, but I assume there might be director's commentary for any of the God's Not Dead movies. And that's a dark, dark contemplation. I, I would really love, and actually I would pay money for this if it was a really honest commentary from a really mercenary director, just, oh, they paid me. That's why I did this. Yeah. This scene, I did it because they paid me. What's going on in the scene? I, I don't know. I don't know. They what, what's going on is me thinking about what I was going to do with the money that they paid me. Looks like the the spiky haired guy is talking to uh, the brown haired lady again. The brown haired lady's angry for I don't know about something. Anyway, let me tell you about my boat. 
Like I would legit buy a, a Blu-ray that had that commentary. Yeah, there's kind of only two in my I'm not a real cinephile, but only two genres of commentary that are worth uh sitting through and one is just the thing whether it be movie TV show, they used to do them TV shows when back in the days of box sets. Um just the thing you love so much, you just want to hear the behind the scenes stuff and you know little stories and inflections. The other one and it was rare but it did happen was Commentary from a person who really dislikes this movie. <laughs> like, I don't know if you've ever seen, heard clips of, there's like, you know, Armageddon? Yeah. They did a commentary of that, but Ben Affleck is one of the people on it. Okay. And he's just been the entire time making fun of how stupid the premise is. <laughs> and recounting stories of him just bugging Michael Bay with how stupid the premise was. Now that does kind of make me happy. I'm not going to lie. Like, wait, why is it easier to teach drilling guys how to be astronauts than just teach astronauts how to drill? (laughs) Shut up, Ben. Literally, Affleck's recounting of the response he got. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Dude, this could be, I could be misremembering this, but I'm wondering if this led to part of the saltiness. I feel like I read a story because I think Bruckheimer um, produced that film. Sounds right. And I think there's a moment where they're they're shooting a scene where they're in their spacesuits and Affleck can't get his helmet off and he's starting to choke because there's no air. And so like Bruckheimer has to rush over and try and get the helmet off of him, which feels like we're probably missing many levels of safety on set. But dude, if you almost asphyxiated me on the set of your dumb, dumb movie, I, I can see you feeling a little salty about that. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I don't, I don't, I'm not an artiste. I don't want to question, uh, Michael Bay's method, his work process, but did, did we need, um, such realistic space helmets that they were airtight for Armageddon? (laughs) Look, man, after the emotional journey that was pain and gain, I, (laughs) I think, uh, Monsieur Bay should do however the muses guide him. Yeah, yeah. And by muses, once again, we mean piles of money, possibly piles <laughs> of other things, but not anything we would mention in a legally actionable way. <laughs> and that brings us back to God's Not Dead, Rise Up. What? Let's see. This is the fifth God's Not Dead film. Okay. Take a second to let that sink in. Um, so think of any you know film franchise you like that has had three through four two, one movies god's not dead on five so that's pretty sweet um and you may wonder yourself uh what's the what's the premise what are we what are we working with here well uh prnewswire.com describes it thusly god's not dead rise up when a favored incumbent suddenly suspends his candidacy for congress an embittered but brilliant campaign strategist is lured out of retirement and convinces Reverend Dave Hill to run for office. The race pits them both against formidable opponents from their past, each with plans to inexorably remove religion's influence on public policy. Set against the backdrop of unprecedented political, civil, and spiritual unrest, Dave struggles to answer an increasingly relevant question of our time. Is God dead in American politics? That is the worst movie plot I have ever heard in my life. Yeah, that's... um. That's very, very bad. 
And as a side note, Jed has sent along a list of other film franchises that have five films. Yep. Uh, such luminaries as the American Ninja series. That's right. That's which I right. Definitely watched all of my childhood because back then we just had to go to Blockbuster and buy based on the title image, the title and the image on the box. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And you give me American Ninja Three Blood Hunt. <laughs> well, and here's my Matt King has written that movie. <laughs> here's my thought: is given that the plot of God's Not Dead Five is honestly like that is like an insanely bad pitch for a story. I think we should replace it, and God's Not Dead Five should be the mashup of God's Not Dead with another film series that's had five movies. Okay. So for for example, Scooby Doo has had five movies, and I think I think Reverend Dave trying to convince um, an anthropomorphic dog that there is a god—that's a movie I would watch. Yeah, yeah. Do you think at the end they unmask the the theme, the uh, the scary ghost, and ended up being Nietzsche all along? <laughs> yeah. Now we're talking. See, th- this is a movie. This is a movie, man. You've got scanners. You've got a taxi. You've got the Twilight Saga. Dude, Reverend Dave has a church, but it's the werewolf kid and then the one that's Batman now that was a vampire before, and they're both in his church, and he has to minister to them. Again, I would watch that movie. Yeah, absolutely. I believe the final Twilight movie, was was that the one? And I didn't see it, but I just read about it where, like, it starts with this huge battle and it's like the final vampire battle. It's actually super bloody and like insane. Then the whole thing is like, it didn't really happen. They do the, they play it out and then do the, Oh, if that is what really happened, that'd be terrible. Now let's show you what happens. That sounds right. Has has Michael Sheen just chew literally, almost literally chewing on scenery, (laughs) which would also get me to tune into a God's not dead movie. Like if they used all their money on one very, accomplished actor and let him be sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. Oh, here's something to mash up with God's Not Dead 5. Hit me. The fifth uh film in the Grindhouse series. Yeah. Machete Kills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Danny Trejo is opening a competing church from Pastor Dave yep. and um, a bit of a competition ensues. Yep. Absolutely right. Uh, we got house party. I would sure. really like to see uh, Pastor Dave and someone else try to do the kid and play dance. <laughs> yes. If you're a youth, look it up. It's worth it. Let's go here. Ah, another, another, um, 90s action schlock luminary series kickboxer yeah i'm looking at the uh the because they have like the years and parentheses after them and it's kickboxer 1989 kickboxer 2 1991 then 92 94 95 somebody realized we got to crank these out before people get on to us yeah yeah that's right that's right ah the fifth monty python film of which there were only five that's right there are as many Monty Python films as God's Not Dead films. <laughs> but the last one is Monty Python and the Meaning of Life. Yeah, that's that's a trippy movie, man. Yeah, there's that, a lot of that. 
put a nice exploding guy in the right in the God's Not Dead there. They, they managed to do five Operation Delta Force movies, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. With great names. There's Operation Delta Force, Operation Delta Force 2, Mayday, Operation Delta Force 3, Clear Target, Operation Delta Force 4, Deep Fault, and Operation Delta Force 5, Random Fire, <laughs> which I don't know anything about the military, but I feel like Random Fire is not the kind of things the highly trained operators of the Delta Force are supposed to be known for. Yeah. Dude, there's five Purge movies. I need a God's Not Dead mashup with The Purge. There you go. Yeah. Also, The Purge Rise Up, a much better film title and film. Yeah, yeah. And actually, a much better title than the fifth Purge movie, which is apparently called The Forever Purge. Yeah, that's not great. Oh, Hong Kong action series, Jackie Chan classic, Police Story. Yes, yes. And I, I would love there to be a deeply choreographed ladder-based fight scene in the middle of God's Not Dead 5. Oh, dude, you know what it could be is, so God's Not Dead 5, they're doing, you know, a fundraising campaign, a stewardship campaign to raise money for a new roof for the church. And Jackie got talked into saying that he would give to it, but then he doesn't really want to. And so the whole movie is him running away and jumping through things to get away from Pastor Dave. I feel like there's a lot of um, circumstances in which just main character runs away from Pastor Dave would be a much more entertaining and accurate situation. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, oh, here we go. There's five Planet of the Apes movies. The original Planet of the Apes run. Oh my gosh, I was wrong. It was the atheist all along. <laughs> like, it's just the apes. Like, admit you're involved from us. No, I won't do it. Dude, if... Okay, so I mean, like, the, the fundamental paradigm, right, of the Gaston Dead movies is, like, this big debate for all the marbles. And if you had a debate about evolution between <laughs> Pastor Dave and Dr. Zayas... That's a movie right there, man. Yeah, that's now a movie. We're talking. Let's see here. Scream. I feel like we're I feel like we had Scream, Scary Movie, and Starship Troopers, all of which I feel like share a a spiritual kind of tenor with the God's Not Dead movies, but not intentionally. Yeah. That's, oh, that's... Underworld has five. Oh, dang, yes. Okay, so there's a couple ways we could go with that. One of which is, it is just a typical God's Not Dead movie, but everyone's wearing skin-tight black leather, and the whole thing is tinted massively blue. Yeah, with just pounding EDM behind it at all times. Exactly right. Exactly right. Okay, I mean, let, me, let me pitch this. Hit me. It's a normal God's Not Dead movie, but all of the, like... I'm going to stand up for what I believe in scenes are shot like an underworld fight scene. <laughs> With like the crazy swoopy cameras and like weird bullet time. Kind of, we can't afford real bullet time, but we're still doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, you know what I would, I'd watch the first 15 minutes of that. Absolutely. That's a, you got a slight head cold and it's, you know, it's on T T and T you're like, I watch 20 minutes of this. Sure. Why not? I'm, I'm waiting for this NyQuil to kick in. I got to do something to pass the time. Yes, those are all great ideas. I'll also point out that um, it has the, the main cast list here. 
Okay. We have we David A.R. White, who we've discussed many times on the show. He is the titular Pastor Dave, who writes, I believe, writes, directs, and stars in all these movies. And I believe is also a part owner of Pure Flix. Go, go figure. Uh, Dean Kane of mid-90s hit Super, Superman and Lois. Isaiah Washington, who I believe is the guy who got thrown off Grey's Anatomy for being homophobic. Cool. Uh, three people I've never heard of named Ray Wise, Corey Oliver, and Brad Heller. And uh, I also like that this is just, in some level, a weird convention of people who could get better acting roles if they would just shut up. Yeah. And maybe that's the true, uh, the true artistic statement of this. We could have better lives, but that would involve us not leading with our most terrible opinions, and we refuse to do it. Somewhere in the write-up of this, I think they said, yeah, it's like paragraph four, I think, that um, the God's Not Dead franchise has grossed more than $100 million worldwide. Sure. That's, if true... That is remarkable and remarkably sad. Yeah. I will, I will say I definitely believe that because um, if we learn anything from the Christian book industry, get churches to bulk buy tickets to this is a winning uh, marketing strategy. Yeah. Yeah, that's really true. We, we, I don't, I'm not sure we've actually shared this story. We'll, we'll keep it anonymous. We can share it because neither of us uh, worked there any longer. Uh, when Jed and I both worked uh, for a inner city Chicago ministry that you guys probably heard us talk about called the bridge. Great program. Love the people. There was a guy who was coming with one of the churches that would come like serve, serve the meal occasionally. And he was a very nice dude, but he very excitedly came up to Jed and I one day to tell us that he had gotten some kind of deal where he'd gotten a bunch of free tickets. I believe at the time it was only God's not dead, like two or three. It was a pure flicks joint yeah. and offered. Jed and I free tickets to come be part of the, the watch party. And that was a, that was an exercise in politely saying politely, but firmly saying no. <laughs> wow. That really sounds, um, I think I, th- thank you. I think I'm busy that day. I actually don't watch movies. I think it's a sin. <laughs> well, you were talking about a movie just the other day. What's that over there? <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. and with that series of movies that would be nicer to think about existing than God's Not Dead 5 Rise Up, a movie that will exist, we will declare emergency off. But yeah. God's Not Dead 5 Trial of the Apes on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All very, very good stuff. We're going to move on to your fine questions. If you want to send a question, you can hang out with us all the way to the end or scroll down to your episode description to find the links where you can do so there. First question comes in and says, is there a healthy way to be proud of myself? I feel like the Christian messages about pride being bad and humility have made me feel like I'm not allowed to feel good about myself when I succeed. And a, a, a very cool question. I like the, uh, really like the framing of that. And Jed, where would we start off with this? It's a great question. I'm really glad that you asked it. Uh, let's start with two quick things. The first is um, it's worth acknowledging that that Christians generally and evangelicals specifically say a lot of really inconsistent things 
on this subject, which is is part of where I think a lot of the confusion comes from, because, you know, one minute it's, you know, it's not me, it's the Lord. And, you know, if something good happens and then I'm also supposed to think that I'm a worm, but I'm also supposed to think that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And so it's there's there's a lot going on there that very rarely do people make any attempt to kind of explain if any of that fits together and if so, how it might. And so I think for a lot of us that kind of have come up around that stuff, it's just, it's just a jumble. The the other thing that's true, and this is true in Christian circles, but it's true outside of it too, is that pride is a word that's very rarely defined. Um, and in the English language, pride means about a half dozen different things, depending um, on the context, you know, everything from school spirit you know, a communal sense of enthusiasm for a place that you once went to school to a form of of hubris that precedes a fall to believing that you should do a good job with the things that you pursue, like, you know, taking pride in your work to, you know, being being proud of of someone that you're you know friends with or, or related to, by which we mean, you know, you feel a sense of satisfaction on their behalf of seeing them live into their better self. Uh, th- these are all very, very, very different things that we'll use the word pride to describe, even though they really don't have anything to do with each other at all. So I think that that looking at the subject of pride, especially if you've come up around Christian stuff and being like, I'm, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do with this. You come by that very honestly um, f- for those reasons alone, but wait, there's more. The, the thing that I would encourage you to look at as a starting point is to not worry too much about the vocabulary we're going to use and instead focus on a bit of a process. And the process is, what if you started by just telling the truth to yourself and then to, to other people that you trust about the good things that are going on in your life and your role in those good things, right? So for example, you could tell the truth both to yourself and to the people that you trust of, I landed the Jenkins account at work. And that's, if it happened, that's factually accurate. There is a Jenkins account. You did land it. That, that did happen. So there's, there's nothing to contest there. And then the second part is your role in it. Like, I, I worked for it. I, I, you know, built the relationship with the Jenkins people and I, you know, talked to them several times and I tried to understand the the needs that that account has. And I made an offer that I thought would be appealing to them. And it was and they went for it. My my role was that I, I put in the thought and the work to try and move that along. And then it succeeded, which, again, um, in the uh, situation that we're making up here would be true. That, that, that would be accurate. So we've simply listed off, here's the thing that happened. Here was my role in it. Then here's the next thing. What if you just allowed yourself to feel the feelings that would probably come along with that truth telling? Because I think what you would find is you say, Hey man, the Jenkins account is kind of a big deal. And I put in a lot of work and I was able to land it. And, you know, I, I really, it, I wasn't sure that I could, but I, I went after it and I, I pushed myself and I did a good job and I feel pretty good about that. Like, I feel like that's kind of a, a, a big deal and, and it's probably good for my career and probably good for my manager to see that. And it kind of, you know, makes me feel like maybe I could land other big accounts that I'm not sure that, that I could land. And maybe that's, that's pretty cool. 
Those would all be totally natural feelings. That is you being proud of yourself. That everything that I've just described, we could sum up by saying a good thing happened that I worked for and I feel proud of myself. That's all good. Everything that we just described there is 100% natural and good and godly. It's all completely 100% compatible and in bounds with a a Christian life, a a life of faith. Um, Sometimes the process of telling the truth and taking ownership will naturally result in feelings of pride that are that are good and that are reasonable. And again, the only way that we wouldn't have pride in that scenario is if we weren't telling the truth about what had happened and our role in it, which would be a form of dishonesty, which would actually be extremely both unhealthy and also unchristian. It would be counter to all of the teachings of the Bible. I'm now picturing another better version of God's Not Dead 5 that is subtitled Pride Goeth Before the Fall. <laughs> I don't know what the plot would be, but I feel like that would be really, really engaging. Oh, yeah. yeah I totally love what Jed was saying there, especially about the, kind of the honesty. I think I would add to that, you can have pride, you can be proud of yourself in proportion. Yeah. I think that's part of what people lose about, especially like you're talking about messages in your question, you're talking about messages uh, people may get about this as a kid. And I think this happens even in a non-Christian or church context, we may get a, an extra heap and helping of it in that context, which is this idea that if you start feeling too good, you will just become a runaway ego monster, and it will make you just a, a deeply insufferable, uh, head-in-the-clouds person. And, I mean, that can happen, but we have to get a pretty far way down that road. Like, Jet, let's take, you know, the example Jed gave us of, you know, I landed a, a good account at work. Yes, it would be too much pride for you to say, well, suckers, I understand business now. I quit. <laughs> I'm founding my own thing. I'm going to get on TikTok. I'm going to start being an influencer. I'm going to start selling a Be Your Own Boss course for $400 a pop. You can all suck it. That's that's too much pride in the in too James far. account. Um, but. If you say like, oh, that's a good thing, and I did a good job, and I feel good about that, that's really not very close to the I'm going to become a a a business bro influencer, so I'll I'll see you never and walking out. That's <laughs> like we've got to we probably don't have to worry about that until we're much further down that road. It really, can be a problem, but I think there is that idea of, um. We have to tamp this weird thing of that. I think really this does come up in evangelicalism. You cannot trust good feelings. Yeah, you can trust bad feelings. If you feel shame, that probably means there's something to feel shame about. Yeah. If you feel good, well, isn't that essentially apostasy? <laughs> to take to take it actually in the God's not dead direction. Um, if you are feeling good about your role in something, aren't you essentially murdering God and denying Him? the right plaudits that he is a deeply insecure for some reason, all powerful deity demands to have full credit for all things at all times. Sounds a little goofy when I say it like that. Hopefully if that doesn't sound goofy Hope to so. you, but that sounds familiar. Well, sorry, we're sorry. Um, but yeah, that, I think that's that weird thing where it is kind of true that yes, the Bible says, you know, Yes, yes, with the Philippians 4.13 and all the through and that. Um, but at no point is Paul does Paul in any of those letters say like, yeah, I, I, I kind of suck. 
He's like, no, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm aware that there's a way in which I'm doing it and that I couldn't do it without God. But that's pretty cool, too. That's like a different context into which to understand getting to be part of, of cool and impressive things. Yeah. Yes, I didn't do them all under my own power, but I got to do them in partnership with the Almighty, who gave me such a task that I, I got to have a role in. That's pretty neat. So it is, it's very odd to say, well, you know, God did it, so what do you have to feel so good about? The, the Bible's full of rejoicing when God does good things. It's like it's like a big chunk of large parts of that book. It's what we're supposed to do. So, uh, yeah, don't let anyone rain on your parade. And certainly, if you find yourself raining on your own parade, because that just feels natural, that's something to, to pull up, readjust. And I think uh, Jed gave us a great place to start when we do that of what happened. That's a dry fact. What was my role in that? Still a series of dry facts. Now, I made the... I made the phone call. I did the work. I wrote the contract. What, how, how do I feel about that? And you can, if you can't connect to that, there's the very easy exercise of how would I feel if my friend came to me and said, I just got the Jenkins account. You would not be like, why do you hate God so much? <laughs> why are you doing a cancel culture on God by claiming that you did the thing that you did? So very useful, a good place to land and uh, definitely a, a great thing. Do not do if you feel that trigger in yourself of, oh no, I feel good about me. That must mean bad things. Just take a breath. It doesn't. And just reset. Always, always good advice. Move on to our second question here. It comes in and says, Colossians 3.12 talks about how we are to behave as God's chosen people. What does that mean? I hear people talk like that. It always sets off red flags that they're saying Christians are better than other people. And another cool question, and Jed, I actually am happy that these kind of came in in tandem because it does show the uh, the kind of two sides of a coin you're talking about there. Where on one hand it is, you know, it's a, we're all born and to perdition, and even our even our good works are like oily rags before He who. But also, we're a royal priesthood, and everyone should listen to what we do all the time. <laughs> and again, not to overdo going back to God's not dead, but it really points out a lot of stuff about evangelical crew. Uh, culture, if you remember when we read that plot synopsis, this this shark who's coming back into the political game picks a random church pastor because that's who should be in charge. There's another bit of the kind of Christian nonsense psyche going on in there, but this actual idea of you, uh, you not only are you God's chosen people, but uh, in Colossians, you should behave like that, which I think is a, a good key to where we might actually get to something useful. Where do we start with that? It's a good question, man. Well, in, in terms of uh, the sense of, of Christians are better than other people, one verse that I, I think is useful as a counterbalance for all kinds of, of potential churchy nonsense is Second Peter three nine, um, which says that God wants literally everyone to be a part of the chosen people. Uh, God does not want anyone to perish. God wants everyone to get in on this thing that he's doing. Um, and again, that's, that's not like a, a specific doctrinal opinion. I hold that's literally the plain reading of the text in second Peter three, nine. So, um, you know, what, whatever Colossians three twelve may mean when it talks about being a chosen people, 
the invitation to be a part of the chosen people is extended to literally everyone with no exceptions. So that that needs to be understood. I think this is one where it's it's easy. This is my read as not a Bible scholar and just a dude, but for what it's worth, I think this is one where it's easy to get a little bit caught up on on a couple of specific words and kind of lose the the broader motion of what's going on um, in the passage there in Colossians. As ever, the the a couple of things that are really useful to do here. One is read read the full context, right? So like read the verses before and and after. Um, read those verses in several different translations, both ones that are word for word, like the NIV, and ones that are thought for thought, like the message. Um, you know, try and get an, an overall picture of what's going on. And when I do that in in the JIV or the Jet International version, um, the JIV, the JIV, uh, what this is basically saying, like I think the chosen people thing is not the super important part in terms of the narrative thrust, it's like God is willing to give you a new kind of life. You want that new kind of life. Given that there's agreement between God wanting you to have a new kind of life and you choosing to have a new kind of life, by the way, that new kind of life is on offer to literally anybody. But but given that that you want it and you're and you're choosing it, why don't we now get into what it would look like for you to live that new kind of life that God is offering you and that you have chosen to have? I think that's actually the narrative thrust of what's being said here. Um, the The specific wording of of chosen people, like um, again, just a dude, not a Bible scholar, but I think that might be from a narrative standpoint a little bit less important, and, and maybe a little bit of a rhetorical flourish, uh, because again, like that invitation's open to literally everyone. Um, but I think it is it is interesting in the spirit of of being prideful or not that if you're super duper focused on the well I'm a part of the chosen people um, then it's easy to just kind of go around being a jerk because um, I guess it's kind of the spiritual version of being like a trust fund kid um, and there's a lot of that going on in the church today but if the focus is on the no there's a there's a new life and a new kind of life that I'm being offered that I want to learn how to live into then that might result in learning to to live differently. Um, and if you live in a way that is observably different than you used to, and that makes the world a better place, other people will definitely notice it and say, Hey, there must be different something about this guy. I I just, I can't put my finger on it, but he's not miserable all the time. So uh, those would be my suggestions on, on maybe how to reconcile some of your concerns with that passage. Okay. That was all fantastic. One thing I took from the end there is now speaking of, uh, better pure flicks movies, how have they not made a slobs versus snobs 80s style like you know we have to save this this the ski center from the the evil rich people but it's yeah, like yeah. a plucky kind of independent small town church and the mega church moves into town and they're like full on 80s uh you know driving up in the convertibles with the swoopy hair be like oh yeah oh yeah that's your church? Why? That's barely the size of our youth ministry's auxiliary room. <laughs> Good one, Chet. Exactly. Pastor Chet. <laughs> Several of them have cream-colored um, kind of off-white cashmere sweaters, not on, but draped around their necks and tied loosely in a knot at the front. Yeah. yeah. We're off to play squash in the narthex. <laughs> 
enjoy your 16 channel mixer on your sound system. (laughs) I imagine their communion wine doesn't even come from Bordeaux. Hmm. Yeah, I think we're I think we're putting our finger on why they're not making this movie. <laughs> Be like that weird thing from How I Met Your Mother, where Barney thinks that uh, those guys were all the good guys. <laughs> but yeah, all all great stuff. And Jed mentioned, I think it's it's always great advice. It's great advice in this con in this particular case of looking at the verses around um, uh, the kind of isolated thing you're looking at. So that's very very helpful in Colossians three, where we're talking about Colossians three twelve. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So, again, if you just move on past the chosen people part, you get to a lot of that kindness and humility and gentleness that we're talking about that should be what distinguishes you, which is a little different than feeling like we have all the answers and you people should get in line. But particularly if you look at the verse before it, which is always especially a good idea if a verse you're looking at starts with, therefore. That's the second half of a thought. And in this one, uh, Colossians 3.11 says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So that's going to put a little bit of a ding in your chosen priesthood. We're the only people who understand morality or ethics or have the the hotline to God or our denomination is the most, most denominational of denominations. This is, as Jed is pointing out, right? Kind of right there in black and white about how nobody's better than anybody. So behave yeah. yourselves. Particularly, uh, it goes on in verse 13 to talk about how you might live uh, again, more so as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues, put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. So if someone is trying to fire you up on the, we're, we're the chosen people, do they seem like they let the peace of Christ rule in their hearts? Yeah. And are thankfully called to peace. Because if not, I'm not saying they aren't Christian, I'm not saying they aren't, uh, you know, a good person or whatever, but, they still have some gaps in what is particularly being taught here in the book of Colossians. So it's always nice when Paul puts in the kind of ejector seat verses <laughs> around the, uh, the thing. And he doesn't do it, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of, uh, you know, I'm not in charge of anything. He doesn't do it enough for my liking, but I do love the parts and the Pauline epistles where you can just feel him being like, I know if I just put this part, they're going to be insane about it. <laughs> So, always good to double-check. And move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and says, I've been having what I can only describe as existential dread lately. There's this blanket of, is this all there is? Kind of around everything. What can I do to deal with this? And Jed, before I throw it to you, I uh, I bid you a hearty eat Arby's. <laughs> yeah. If you, uh, if you, dear listener, are on the internet. And share any kind of a sense of humor with Jed and I on the Twitters. You may want to check out Nihilist Arby's, which is kind of exactly what it sounds like. Just rants about the futility of life in the universe. And then also the new Big Montana's out. Eat Arby's. (laughs) And there's a kind of gentle wisdom in that, Jed. 
Yeah, there definitely is. Well, in the spirit of, of humility, which is underscored our first two questions, let's let's continue it here. Um, I want to encourage you as a place to start. I do not want to downplay the concern that you are describing. What I do want to offer is that it's worth considering that what is leading to the very heavy feeling that you're having is not necessarily a heavy reality. It could be. It could be that um, your spirit is overwhelmed with the despair of living in a fallen world, and therefore you're asking the deep questions. That is possible. It could also be, just to lift some things off, you're overtired. Um, you haven't you know, uh, had enough caffeine. You haven't uh, had enough to eat. Um, you've been kind of overdoing it at work. Um, here, here's the fun, the one that, that people don't, don't, uh, talk too much about actually too much exercise can totally mess with your head and, um, cause all kinds of, of weird stuff with your mood. Um, but Jared, are- you're talking about some kind of world where someone could be incredibly physically fit, but a little mentally unbalanced. I don't know that there's any evidence of that kind of thing happening. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's the thing. So, like, again, I'm not downplaying your concerns, and I'm not downplaying what you're going through, but I'm saying that one of the things about being a humble person is to recognize in this moment, this could be coming from something very deep and very profound. It could also be coming from, I need a nap and a cookie. Um, and being open to both of those possibilities is important if we're going to do kind of some some good diagnostic work here. And so... The thing that I want to encourage you to do, let's first run through the, the, the handy-dandy checklist of HALT. And HALT, again, stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Are you any of those things? Are you chronically any of those things? Are you regularly any combination of those things? Because if you are on any kind of a regular basis, and especially just kind of an ongoing chronic version of hungry and or angry and or lonely and or tired, it's for sure going to mess with your head. Um, it's that that is going to wear on you and it's going to wear on you deeper than you think. And it's going to it's going to wear on you in in ways that you wouldn't expect. You know, I mean, like when you're when you're tired, for example, you, you can't think as clearly. You can't you can't think as quickly. Um, you you generally can't think as as definitively. So, um, you know, it's we we want to be cognizant again of that hungry, angry, lonely, tired piece, and, and really take the time and the humility to consider that. The next part is let's ask this: awe and wonder are beautiful things, right? So, I mean, kind of like if you're saying, "Is this all there is?" I mean, you're kind of like. That's that's almost like a, a a severe lack of awe and wonder is what you're describing. It's like I'm I'm unimpressed and I'm uninspired, right? And no judgment because I've I've spent a lot of time there in my life, man. Um, but the thing about awe and wonder is you need to feed them. Like if you if you hope to have a sense of awe, you need to feed a sense of awe. If you hope to have a sense of wonder, you need to feed a sense of wonder. I think for most of us. Those things don't just spontaneously leap into life and vibrant presence in our existence. We, we actually have to, to feed those things. And so are there things that help you connect with a sense of passion and inspiration and awe and wonder and the joy of being alive? Do, do you know what those things are that help you connect with that? 
Because if you don't know what those things are, then we may have actually begun to identify our problem. And, and that may be the thing that we need to kind of begin to put some work into is figuring out what are the things that give me a spark of joy and hope and inspiration and awe and wonder. And a spark's great, man. We can, we can start with a spark. If you do have a sense of what some of those things are, then the next question is, have you done any of them recently? Because the truth for a lot of us, man, I mean, in true confessions is I've got a list of, I have a long list of stuff that I know will make me feel better. It will make me feel better about me. It will make me feel better about the world. It will make me feel better about my place in the world. It will give me more joy and more awe and more wonder. And left to my own devices, if I'm not working intentionally at it, I will do those things so infrequently that my brain will start saying, you probably don't even care for those things. You probably don't even really like them. So you just, you shouldn't bother. Like momentum's a powerful thing, man. And a lot of us really have a tendency to have momentum working strongly against us, to have things that, that would help and we kind of know they would help and to just find ways to not do those things. So if we want to turn this around, I think, I think that's probably at least some of what's before you is being open to, yeah, it could be something really deep that's going on. It could also be that you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired. It could also be that we're not feeding the side of ourselves that's in touch with awe and wonder and inspiration. And then kind of taking some of the practical and logistical steps to address those basic needs like hunger and tiredness and loneliness and feeding those parts of ourselves that do respond to beauty and making sure that those needs too are getting met within us. I think it's a really, really fantastic point. Um, another thing that I think can lead to that kind of, is this all there is, is a feeling of sameness. And exactly as Jed is saying is when you're looking for kind of awe and wonder and those feelings, it's also good to look for things that aren't the same. Yeah. Even though yep. they may feel, you know, if you're, if you're feeling this way around where well, you say everything, but let's go back to the work example of, you know, I get up, I get in my car or on the train or whatever, and I go to the thing and I do whatever it is for eight hours and then I leave and it just feels like I'm in this, you know, just an inescapable rut of sameness. It's probably not exactly the same. I mean, I, I don't know how many listeners we have who work in uh, 19th century factories. I assume <laughs> not that many. So you're probably not doing the exact same motion for 12 hours at a clip. Um, there's a different route. There's a new, a different kind of snack to try. There's something a little different that happens or something funny, but you do have to be in a mindset of looking for those yep. and stopping to kind of going back to the point we, we made in the beginning about kind of the way you think about pride and being honest, taking a moment to, to celebrate and check on those when they do happen. The other aspect of it, I wonder is, in what things are you looking for meaning mm. and how much meaning are you looking for in them? If you're looking for, um, a deep, uh, mysterious, universal, cosmic, spiritual sense of meaning in your job or even like your familial relationships or friendships, that's a lot of pressure to put on something that's, may not have been meant to do that. Yeah. Um, if you are looking for the right amount of meaning, you might find a hundred percent of the meaning that something can give. If you have 
an office job that allows you to, you know, pay your bills and have a little money left over for, uh, you know, buy a concert, a couple concert tickets every little, every once in a while. And, um, you know, it's not absolutely mind numbing work. That could be a lot of good stuff to get out of that. And you have a couple laughs with your coworkers, get that kind of feeling of a job well done occasionally, like we were talking about before. And that could be anything that could be, you know, there was a huge line in your checkout stand and you, you really got everybody through there with a smile on your face and they had a good experience. That's, that's an accomplishment. That's something to feel great about. That's yep. Yep. fantastic on that up through, you know, closing the Jenkins account. But if you, if you look, if you were looking for those things to externally give you how you should feel about yourself as a person and your place amongst uh, all great and grand mysteries, that's going to be a bit of a tough ask to get out of every moment of those things at all times. So I think what we want to, and what is just pointing to there is take, let the little things be little and let the big things be big. Yeah. It's great to, to hike out to the grand Canyon or go to Niagara falls or go to, you know, some far flung place and just stand in awe of creation. It's also perfectly great to, uh, be walking to work and see a, a, some kind of cute dog or something and be like, Hey, you ran up to me. That's great. If that's what you need to carry you from the morning to lunch, then take it. Yeah. Take every bit of it. Yeah. If you, you know, have a good conversation with a friend where you think you really like, Oh man, I cracked a joke and everybody laughed or I said a thing and they were like, Oh, that's actually I've never, never thought about it that way. Don't, don't, sink that by putting too much weight on it, let it be what it is. And then enjoy every last ounce of it that you can get out of that to get you to the next thing. The last thing I'll say on this is, I think it's a very interesting question of what if this is all there is follow that for a second. What if this is what this is going to be? Not necessarily in a, my whole life sense, but you say, you know, this is my job or the place I live or you know, whatever thing I'm kind of feeling blah about. What if this is it? Then there are probably ways you can make it better. You can make it more enjoyable. You can move on to the next thing. If you look at that and those kind of chances say, I, if this is it, then that's not going to be acceptable. Okay. We can look for a new thing and that can be a motivating thing. And a, a thing that gives us some, some direction and some oomph on the way. but. I think oftentimes that seemingly infinite choice of what if I was doing something else, but here's the thing. And I don't mean this to sound uh, depressing, but that is my brain. Um, you're not doing something else. You're doing this. So how much happiness can we get out of this? And the answer may be not much. And then we got to find <laughs> a new this, but uh, rarely, I, I know in the times of my life where as Jed is saying, I've done this, I've been in the exact same headspace. It was sometimes that just, I was in a place or doing a thing that just was not it and killing my soul. But just as often, if not more often, it was, I was not getting all of the positive stuff I could out of the situation I was in. And that is sometimes an easier uh, switch flip when we look at it through that mindset. And we certainly hope that was helpful. We appreciate you hanging out with us here through the show. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr, 
patreon.com slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, we're going to make up for our lack of Lee in the episode by giving you a little Lee in the oh. closing song. This is Lee version of the hymn. Oh, I just wrote it down in initials when I made my note and I was trying to decode myself there. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Uh-huh. That's the song we're going out with. Lee's version of Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Take out that. Just thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. to